Welcome to episode three of the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, where the whole gang gets together and talks about football, basketball, recruiting, uh, anything else that gets brought up. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. I've got Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull on the line. And guys, we'll just jump right in. We don't have to introduce ourselves in this episode. We've already done that. And one thing that's on our site right now, Michigan with the sixth best odds to win the national championship this season that's football of course seems high 14 to 1 odds and then they're second in the big 10 with 4 to 1 odds to win the conference and be the first conference title since 2004 uh you know i've got i've got my own thoughts but i'm curious i mean what did you guys think when you saw sixth best in the country second best in the big 10 is that high is that appropriate generous uh maybe maybe probably not too low i don't think anyone would say that but uh, Steve, we'll start with you. What did you think? Uh, definitely generous. Uh, 17 new starters. I know there's a lot of talent. I mean, we're high on Michigan. I am. I mean, I think they should have a pretty good seat. I think better than most, I guess, non-Vegas, we'd have to call them with that, uh, with those odds. But most non-Vegas pundits, you know, I think are pretty well down on Michigan. I think Phil Steele uh, wrote his annual Michigan is overrated uh, article <laughs> this yep, week. He did. So, yeah, uh, it's kind of a broken record uh, at this point with him so it's not unexpected but uh, I still think it's a little generous but that's the thing is like people love to throw money at Michigan uh, I think there's a lot of faith in the, just the coaching staff period you know I go back to what Joel Klatt the Fox Sports analyst said about Harbaugh's ability to teach the game said he doesn't even look at Michigan losing uh, Klatt's a pretty respected guy I know he's been very pro Harbaugh uh, I think he's been one of the more pro Harbaugh guys in the national media the last couple seasons uh, but you got to take some uh, of what he's saying into consideration as far as just their ability to teach the game. You know, it's like some people say, well, they only won 10 games last year. They got 14 guys drafted or 15 guys drafted, whatever it was. Uh, those guys, you know, like, you know, I was like, how many of them? How many of them would have been drafted under Brady Hope? You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, five, six. I mean, is a guy like Amara Darbo uh, ever really develop into what he did, or does a guy like? Uh, like a Delano Hill, great example. Uh, kind of quietly, uh, I mean, was he third round or third or fourth round? I mean, just yeah, you know, fourth round. It, yep, yep. Yeah, guys that wouldn't have, in my opinion, I don't think would have been developed. Uh, you know, so I think you see these are Harbaugh's guys now for the most part. Outside of a few, uh, there's a ton of talent. Uh, Don Brown too. I mean, the second straight season he's run the number one defense. Did it with a much less talented cast of characters at Boston College <laughs> while playing like schools, again, playing the Florida State and Clemson's. You know, it's not like they're playing cream puff schools. Uh, you know, when he, I always look at what he did at Boston College because their offense was, I think, literally one of the three or four worst in college football the year that he had the number one defense. To me, that makes it a million times uh, more impressive because if your offense can't even stay on the field, uh, and you still can put out the number one defense when you're playing high-octane offenses like that, that's unbelievable. Uh, so I think there's a lot of faith in what the coaching staff can do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that, I think that's what's spurring it. I still think it's just a little too high at this point, though. Uh, I know people on our board especially seem to not want to give Penn State any credit. Uh, oh, my goodness. They did last, yeah, for, for anything <laughs> they did last year. But uh, they returned pretty much everybody from a Rose Bowl uh, a team that should have won the Rose Bowl, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I would probably have to put Penn State on paper. I'd have to put Penn State ahead of Michigan to begin the season. Uh, but we'll see, though. I well, mean, yeah. you know. 
And one thing with the odds that, that I thought about, you know, when I'm dwelling on this is, you know, the odds to win a title are different than like a preseason rankings. You know, we, we, like odds to win a title, it's like, well, if everybody, everything pans out the way that maybe the Harbaugh, Harbaugh's uh, fans think it will, you know, like the receivers are really good, the secondary is fine, then suddenly, I mean, all they have to do is, you know, beat Ohio State at home, win a couple other games. I mean, Isaiah, it, I'm not sure if you're quite getting what I'm saying, but it's like if things work out, this will be a top six team. So it's just you're kind of playing on odds of whether it will or not with these with this title game odds. I mean, would, what do you think? I mean, obviously, we can probably we're probably all in agreement that Michigan is not the number six team in the country. But right. Do you, would you would you put money on fourteen to one that that maybe things do pan out? That I mean that's it's, it is really interesting, especially considering that yeah I, that is a bit generous. Uh, it, it is always a, it's going to be a question of you know where do they fall as far as the teams ahead of them, the teams behind them, uh, when you're looking at you know at those odds and if everything does go the way it could. They absolutely could be a team that is in high contention. Uh, it's, it's just that there's a lot of unknowns. There's, there's so many of, there's mostly of these, uh, of these sophomores and redshirt freshmen that are going to be coming in and, and having, uh, significant playing time where they didn't have that last year. You'd see them spurts. You wouldn't get to see them really, uh, you, you know, come in and, and make as, you know, a big impact. Obviously there's a couple guys that are coming in and, it's it's kind of hard to say that there were backups considering their production. Uh, obviously, uh, along the defensive line, Mo Hurst, Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, and Brian Monet, they've all they've all proven themselves, uh, you know, quote off the bench. So those guys aren't unknowns. But like you mentioned, the secondary, uh, I'm pretty high on David Long and Lavert Hill, and uh, and becoming increasingly higher on uh, Keith Washington, but. We don't know until, as Don Brown says, until we see those live bullets flying, until it's not in practice. Uh, so that's going to be the, the question. If they can come in and and do like we saw in Harbaugh's first year, all of a sudden you saw you know a litany of guys come in and and become dependable. I, I wouldn't. I don't think in 2015 that we you know. We we're all looking at that defense and saying, you know, outside of like you know the secondary, for instance, outside of Jordan Lewis, we'll be saying, you know, Jared Wilson is going to become Mr. Dependable at mm-hmm. safety. We're you know it's or, or that Channing Stribling and Jeremy Clark were going to be not just solid options, but you know essentially shut down type guys. Well, Eleven Jordan. All Big Ten honorees. I mean, you could go down the list of guys that that kind of happened with. Yeah, but like especially you know when you think about Harbaugh taking over the program, and you know we there there were so many unknowns then. You know the the, the topic du jour on sports radio. I listen to a lot of Sirius XM, and you know there there was a lot of well, you know how long is it going to take Harbaugh to get a respectable team? And the question was was that 2015 team going to be able to even be bowl eligible? Well, they were just you know they were a few plays away from being in the conversation for the college football playoff in his first year. So question I think becomes with these guys now having time in the system, even though they're unproven, are, would they be able to step in and play the same brand of football that we saw from the veterans the last couple of years? And I, I don't think it's necessarily a huge jump to say that 
they can at least play serviceably in that type of mindset. So uh, I, I think that the Big Ten odds are a little bit more accurate. Uh, I, I'm curious with Penn State. I know you just said that you know people aren't giving them enough credit. Uh, I think that kind of goes a lot with the whole Trace McSorley threw up a lot of uh, a lot of jump balls. I saw a statistic. I think it was something like seventy five percent of his throws of his fifty fifty thro- balls. Yeah, yeah. We're, so it's uh, and he loses his number one threat in Chris Godwin. So I, I'll be curious to see how Penn, Penn State is able to build off of uh, their twenty sixteen season. Uh, so that, that's going to play a big part because if right. Michigan can go and win that game. They got the other really tough road game at Wisconsin. Uh, I, you know, Ohio State's obviously always going to be a really tough one. Those are the the three games that I look to, to that will either either make or break the season. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good point. One thing with the Penn State championship odds is, uh, you know, I I think it's a little low where they're at. You know, they should probably have be higher up in the in the lowest odds. But part of it is that they have to play at Ohio State. Their crossover games at Iowa, at Northwestern against Nebraska. I mean, the odds of them dropping one or two games and being out of the contest are a little higher than maybe at a Michigan. Uh, but anyway, I, I am curious. You know, we, we mentioned you know these odds and, and 17 returning starters. You, you don't see that really anywhere very often. But I'm curious where you guys would rank Michigan if you were making a preseason poll. And we don't have to go game by game for Michigan, or you don't have to list every team you would put ahead of them. But, you know, I've I'm been thinking about it the past couple days, and I think I'm going to put them right at, I w- if I were making the rankings, I would put them right at 10th. And I think Penn State would be slightly ahead of them, like at a, at a 7 or 8, and Ohio State would probably be 2 or 3, meaning that an average season for Michigan would probably be 10 and 2. And, and anything above that's Overachieving anything below it would be seen as a disappointment. But where would you guys rank them? We don't have to. We'll have plenty of other podcasts to go more in depth about, you know, each every specific detail. But what what do you think should be the bar if six is too high and Phil Steele ranked them 18th? If that's too low, uh, ten was the like what you ten was the first number like that jumped right into my head. I would probably say I'd probably say around ten. I think that's fair, and I agree. I'd I would have on paper. I would have Ohio State uh, and Penn State ahead of them. Again, I know that McSorley threw up a lot of jump balls, but they should be able to run the ball very effectively all season. Uh, they were, you know, Juwan Johnson, a young receiver. I think that's had an amazing spring for them. Is a guy that can step in and make some big plays. Blacknall's back, so Gasicki, um, who can't block a lick but can receive, you know, with the best of them at tight end. So. Yeah, Deshaun Hamilton too. I mean, yeah, you know, they have they the got, people to make those 50-50 balls better. I mean, there's there's right. some skill involved in that. Well, Jawan Johnson's six five, six four. I mean, he's he is a jump ball guy. So you know, we, that's the thing is like, who knows if that stat will be? It could be close to what it was last year. We'll have to see. But I, I I'm sticking. Yeah, I'm right with you. I'm I'm right at ten uh, with Penn State and Ohio State uh, in conference. See, Wisconsin's got to be right there too, though. I mean, they bring back a ton. As well, Wisconsin would be eleven or twelve, you know, for me probably. Yeah, they'd be in my top fifteen. Yeah, so I'm going to say ten. Yeah, it's probably about what I what I would say. I I might slip again. Maybe I'm devaluing uh, Penn State a little a little much, but it's 
I, I wouldn't put them too far behind, if anything. I'd probably end up having Wisconsin actually be around 9, Michigan around 10, Penn State around 11, uh, if I were to just uh, come up with a quick number there. Uh, Penn State probably deserves to be probably more 9. I just want to see another year out of it, kind of kind of like 2011 Michigan, uh, see that it's not a fluke in a way. Uh, I think sometimes a team can go on a run and, and you know, look really good. And, uh, may, you know, it might just be that everything went their way. That's kind of how I felt about a bit of Penn State, even though they had the, the great game against USC and the Big Ten, the way the Big Ten championship game went. But I think Wisconsin's kind of poised to be a pretty scary team considering, uh, you know, they, they, they lose a few pieces at running back, but I mean, they still got, they still have Hornibrook returning. They've got a lot of really good guys, uh, you know, and obviously some consistency there, uh, coaching. So that'll it'll it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I'd say that Michigan around ten is probably about where I'd have them. Like looking again at like another, like you said, it could be like a ten and two, nine and three type season. I think that that would be the uh, that would that would be the bar right around there. Yeah, well, we'll have plenty of time. I mean, I'm a debate for another day, but I'm not totally sold on Wisconsin yet. But anyway, we have. Tons of tons of weeks uh, to to do that. We have some questions to get to in this podcast, and of course, we really appreciate these questions. They they help the show, you know, have some structure, help us uh, answer questions that people might actually prefer we answer. Maybe some people know some things, some people don't. We got some good questions this week, and if you want to ask questions for next week, feel free to log on to michigan.247sports.com/board, and we'll post it uh, about a day or two before. We podcast, and of course, you can always message us if you have a question that you think of, you know, before we post it that you want to ask. But anyway, we'll start with uh, some basketball questions. Justin saying eight one two. Zach. Yeah. Is there a Julian Barnett question this week? I don't believe so. Oh man. Okay. That's I have a Julian <laughs> Barnett question. All right. Well, we can get started now. Then go ahead. <laughs> I, I I was going to post one for you, Steve, but I didn't get a chance to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe next time. Ask me about him every week. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Justin Sane 812 asks, thoughts on the improved basketball recruiting? We have secured our top targets recently, more of our top targets recently, I assume he means, uh, than in last years. Reasons for improvement? Washington, more aggressive approach by Beeline. And that's that's a good question. I mean, just uh, we haven't done a podcast in a few weeks, but since then, Brandon Johns, arguably the top player in the state of Michigan, the top recruit committed to Michigan and giving Michigan its first number one player in the state since Deshaun Sims in 2006. So first of Beeline's entire tenure. And then Taylor Curry reclassified. Uh, they're very high on him. He was very high on Michigan. And it's seeing, you know, David DeJulius getting him, uh, Isaiah Livers, you know, that's four really prime in-state targets, two of which Michigan State was very high on. Uh, just just in this most recent run, and it seems like they're on the short list for a lot of their top, lot more of their top targets than in previous seasons. And so it's a good question, you know, with Justin uh, asking about Saudi Washington, he's obviously a huge asset. He was he was tremendous in getting Brandon Johns. He's from Lansing, you know, he coaches the big men. That's where Brandon Johns will end up. He's going to end up being a Saudi Washington protege. So that's that's. On him, you know, he's he's a little bit younger. I think he's uh, does a very nice job of making everyone feel comfortable. You know, when they come visits, you know, it's 
it can be tough with basketball because you don't necessarily have these visits where you've got eight guys and you're just hanging out and you're all buddies. You know, it might be one or two guys. It might be the middle of December. They might be playing, you know, Maryland Eastern Shore or something of that sort. So it's a little tougher, and I think Washington does a nice job with that. I think Beeline, I don't know if it's a more aggressive approach. You know, maybe they'll offer a couple more people, but it's it's more or less the same. I think the big difference, well, there's two big differences. I think one, uh, these kids growing up, they Michigan was very good growing up for them. I mean, when Michigan started its NCAA tournament run where they were actually making it regularly, I mean, these kids were, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. So that's that's a big asset is that they don't necessarily recall the time where Michigan was this dormant, uh, terrible program. You know, and there's a little bit more proof in the pudding in Beeline's career. You know, he's not going anywhere. He's signed through 2021. Seems like both parties very much enjoy this. And so then he can start to chip away at some of Izzo, who used to probably be able to say, well, I've been here 12 years. Beeline's been here one or two years. You know, he might be going somewhere. He might be retiring soon. You know, it's, it's a little bit more when you have longevity and consistency as a coach. Uh, and I think, you know, just ultimately, I think they're realizing who their targets are. You know, they're probably not going to score the five-star that doesn't want to uh, do quite as much homework or doesn't want to be in classes for more than a semester and change, you know. So they're going after guys in that 50 to 125 range, and I think that's allowing them to go more all-in on guys like Jerome Hunter or Brandon Johns versus trying to juggle a lot of different parts uh, but I, I'm also, you know, relatively green on the recruiting circuit. I, didn't, I wasn't necessarily interviewing the guys that passed on Beeline. Steve, you've at least followed the the recruiting trail for a few more years than I have. Did I am I, am I getting this right? I think, you know, it feels like Beeline and Washington and whoever his assistants end up being, it seems like they're starting to narrow in on a on a niche market of maybe underutilized or project recruits. You know, the DJ Wilson type, if you will where they can turn them into guys that end up becoming better. And those guys see it happens year after year with Levert, Wilson, Stauskas, and they start to become more sold on it too. So it seems like there's there's a system forming uh, with Michigan and its recruiting. Yeah, I agree. Going back to Saudi, uh, you want to know how important assistant coaches are in recruiting and basketball, uh, just look at how Michigan lost Pete Nance. Uh, if Billy Donlin is still on the Michigan staff, I strongly assume that Pete Nance would probably be a Wolverine right now. So that, you know, plays a role. And uh, Saudi's been great so far uh, with the in-state guys. Again, you know, you get Mr. Basketball in Livers last year. I was their first Mr. Basketball in... Manny Harris was the last yeah, one in 2008. Yeah, Manny, yep. right. And then now you have the number one recruit in the state now in Johns. Uh, you know, that's not the way it's been, you know, for a long time. So... Uh, there's definitely a difference there, you know, and he, his work is, is really, really paying off. Again, now Michigan State's going to get their guys, so them getting Livers and Johns, it's not like they're uh, cutting the head off the dragon in East Lansing. I mean, Michigan State's recruiting as well as they ever have. So, um, But it gives them some great, great in-state pieces to uh, to revolve, build around, revolve around, and, uh, you know, might help them with a little bit of uh, momentum going forward in-state. So, I think that plays a role. As far as I, I honestly, I, I think he's doing everything exactly the same. They know what works. Their track record proves it. Uh, going, I'm talking about going the other way. Yes, if you're a recruit, you see that DJ Wilson's a first-round pick. You see Stoskis. You even see Glenn Robinson, who was highly recruited or highly rated at the end of the cycle. 
but was not a high recruit when Michigan when he first verbally committed to Michigan. Uh, he was a late riser in the rankings. Uh, you know, I mean, the famous story that Purdue didn't even offer him, right? So uh, he wasn't that highly touted at the beginning of his recruitment. So uh, it works the other way, though. Michigan knows what wins basketball games. Uh, they've been, you know, we've seen what they've done. Uh, so close again this year to another really, I guess, magical run, you could call it. I mean, they did win the Big Ten Tournament Championship, so, uh, you know, there is that feather in their cap as well, another banner they can put up. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mutually beneficial decision. Uh, the player knows that they're going to get developed, and the coaching staff, they have such an eye for knowing what type of guys uh, work in his offensive system and uh, guys that they can develop defensively. I mean, D.J. Wilson... Uh, for all of his offensive development, was an excellent defensive player for them last year as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's I think he's pretty much stuck to what he's done uh, because he knows it works. It's that simple. And uh, yeah, with the five star stuff, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know, you go down the list, you'll get a school every once in a while will sneak in. Like I know when NC State got Dennis Smith last year, um, mm-hmm. Alabama but, got a couple, Western right. Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I forgot about them. Like, but for the most part, you know, it's like almost literally like the same like five schools, mm-hmm. it's like or six schools. You got UCLA, you got Arizona, you got Duke, you got Kentucky, you got uh, Kansas, North Carolina, and yeah. Kansas. Yeah, those yeah. are the six. You know, I always think like that's pretty much the five stars are pretty much divided between that group of six schools. So, um, you know, and it's hard. I mean, Michigan. You know, we just did the piece a few weeks ago. I think. Uh, whom I think of the one, the only one that they've really beaten all of those schools for. I can't even remember. Mitch who it McGarry, was. probably, but yeah, it was McGarry. And yeah. I know Cam Chapman had an Arizona offer. Uh, you know, and has a couple other really big offers too. But he, he didn't have Duke. He didn't have Kentucky. He didn't have North Carolina. So, uh, you know, it's rare, <laughs> as rare as rare can be, uh, for for them to win any of those. So yeah, that they've they've had to change it up. But they have been for a while. It's kind of been the way they've been doing it. And right. I just think they're. I think they're kind of going about things the same way as always. Uh, you just have to adapt a little bit to your the different assistants. You know that that they recruit. Washington's obviously a great recruiter, so there's no problem there. Uh, really interested to see who they hire mm-hmm. uh, and to get out in the recruiting trail. I think they it was reported that is it Chris Hunter and then uh, Brian Smothers uh, are the guys out of that are legally allowed to recruit right now while they yeah. find their new yep, assistant yep, coaches yep. right so uh you know we'll see if that has much or any effect on things but yeah we'll see uh, my based on what i've gathered it they're kind of freezing it a little bit you know i don't think right. they have a visit scheduled for another month uh so so it's kind of i mean it's it, obviously the evaluation period is big but i don't think that they're going to be i wouldn't expect to hear any major names pop up in the next couple weeks at least until right. they have their ducks in a row Absolutely. And yeah, As so, they should. Yeah, so anyway, and I, I think it's just interesting. You know, I think I said this in a comment on our board the other week where I said, well, you know, anyone who saw Wilson, it's not like he, it's not like Beeline is creating these guys out of scratch. You know, they, they have things, but they have flaws, or maybe they have, they're under-recruited, they're from a not-so-heavily-recruited area like Sacramento. You know, and so suddenly he ends up being, you know, a, a lower-end four-star when realistically, if he had been in, you know, Columbus or or somewhere where there's a lot of AAU circuit stuff going on, he might have been higher ranked. So right. it seems like they're just doing a good job of evaluating their pieces. And now, you know, they have a little bit more credibility. They can say, oh, you look just like Karis LeVert or you look just like what Glenn Robinson could be. So 
we'll see. We'll see how this summer goes, but they certainly seem in on, on what could be a very good class for them, Pro- possibly their best if you look at our class calculator tool. Another basketball question while we're on the topic. Mason McDoom asks, besides Mo Wagner, which Michigan basketball player has the best shot at getting drafted, period? And, you know, I think Charles Matthews obviously comes to mind. You know, in the open practices that I've seen, he was uh, far and away the most athletic last year. And then you hear rumors about how he's the best defender when he was really more of a scorer when he was in high school. I mean, he's a Kentucky player before he transferred to Michigan, uh, another Saudi Washington win, you know, we're pulling him out of Chicago, but seems like he's the complete package if things come together for him. Some mock drafts already have him getting drafted next year uh, in that late first round, early second round area that Michigan fans uh, probably aren't <laughs> a big fan of when their players are projected there, but it's worked out the past couple years uh, for those players. So he's probably my choice, and then I I don't know. I just It's hard to tell with this 2017 class because you know, I, there are things I really, really like about Isaiah Livers. I, you know, he could very much be the starter in DJ Wilson's place. You know, do a lot of things, be just like DJ Wilson, just two inches shorter and 15 pounds more of muscle. You know, Jordan Poole, uh, he put on 20 plus pounds of muscle this past spring. You know, he he was playing basically with a college team at La Lumiere, and then we hear you know rumblings about Eli Brooks and how people are really excited about what he can bring. So. I'd probably say Matthews, Livers, and then mm, I'll go with with Jordan Poole for now. That would be my top three of order of most likely to get drafted. Uh, obviously, Austin Davis and John Teske. If they progress, uh, there's certainly certainly room for centers that can shoot threes in the NBA. But I, Steve, did any, anyone else stand out to you that I haven't listed or I I didn't give enough love to? I want to say Duncan because shooters are at such a premium in the NBA right now. I feel like there's a, a place for him in the league, but uh, I know I've defended him, defended his defense uh, in the past, mm-hmm. and I thought he came around a lot near the latter half of the season last year, Big Ten tournament, uh, in the NCAA tournament. I'm still, I still think there's more room for growth with him. Uh, and again, guys that can shoot the ball like he can uh, are so valuable in today's NBA. Uh, I don't think he's going to like – I think he'd have to be like a, a second-round flyer mm-hmm. even if he does show some improvement this year. But uh, I, I don't know. I just There's some – the guys like him that can just light it up like that, I just, there's always room for those types of guys. And he's not a six one six two guy that can do that. Like he's got NBA length, you know. So uh, we'll see. But I, I think for the if I was ranking them, I'd probably rank them the exactly, exact same way you did. I don't know what Jerron Simmons – uh, would bring to the table next year. Uh, maybe he could be a guy, but uh, as far as the NBA draft goes, I think he's going to be a very good fit for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as far as the actual like NBA prospects, yeah, I want to see what E.B. Watson uh, kind of been an afterthought too so far. Uh, see how he pans out as well. You know, didn't really play a lot last season. Didn't really need him to. Uh, you know, he'll be a really interesting player to keep an eye on this season. Mm-hmm. But uh, Neither, I'd have to go. I'd have to yeah. go with the same three though. Matthews and then uh, livers. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and you're right, though. I mean, maybe Watson, I, I almost uh, dismissed forgot it when you him, said it. I? Yeah, yeah, I almost forgot about him, but another undersized guy from Pickerington. You know, lots, a few possibilities, uh, and we'll we'll hear more 
uh, after Camp Sanderson. It's going on right now. So, you know, as as time has shown us, you know, people who really are like the MVPs of Camp Sanderson should also be starting to pop up on NBA draft boards, you know, six or seven months later. So something to keep an eye on, uh, certainly. I mean, point guards will be interesting because they're, they're all a little undersized. And if Derek Walton wasn't drafted, you know, I mean, someone has to have either better size, speed, and skill than Walton or be better than him in college, neither of which I think will necessarily happen. We did get another another basketball question, but this will be uh, help us transition back into football. Mason McDoom also asked, which player on the football team is the best basketball player? And so it's interesting question. I think someone asked this in the past, maybe in the fall, and I, I kind of broke it down. Uh, last year, Taco Charlton might have been my choice because he was teammates with Levert and six foot six. Uh, for now, I'm going to say Drake Harris, former Michigan State basketball. I I think he might have committed. He was definitely a recruit, a uh, three-star recruit. But he's probably my choice. I know before the show, you guys had two different names. So Isaiah, we'll get you back in here. What who who's on who's on your short list? Well, the guy I'd really want to see suit up for. Uh the Wolverines basketball team would be Tyrone Wheatley Jr. Could be like a Dwight Howard type presence. That big body slimmed down quite a bit uh, this off season, which is something that uh, we can talk about a bit. But he uh, he's got got the size, uh, like you were mentioning uh, in the in the pre-show here. That uh, he was a guy that that really was dominant in, the, in middle school, and he's a, he's a guy that I would look at as being. How do you? How do you defend him? You know, like if mm-hmm. he's got that size and and, and you know, kind of reminds me of, like I said, Dwight Howard, but even like a younger Shaq. Not how big is he right big. now? Uh, he's six six, and he won't tell us an actual weight. <laughs> but probably but he, bigger than most six foot six guys that he would face off against. Yeah, he's definitely a, he's definitely a behemoth, uh, even though he's slimmed down. And he's a guy that if, if on the football field you don't want to, if, if you're a, if you're a linebacker. And he's coming at you from the tight end position. You, you don't. You really don't want that matchup. So, in the same idea, I don't. You really don't want to see him coming up the key with with the basketball or posting up against you. He's a. Uh, he's definitely someone that uh, that could punish you if you uh, if you don't if you know don't come at him correctly. So he'd be definitely my pick. All right, Steve. What do you think? I know you had a different name as well. I did. Wheelie's a great pick, and I say this every time we talk about TJ. Uh, he is just like his dad. He's a bit too big for his position, but he's so athletic that he's not too big for his position. Uh, you know, I, his legs are like tree trunks. I mean, I remember standing next to him in high school, and uh, his. I mean, he's just yeah, he's just big. I mean, there's just no other way to describe him. But then you watch him run. Uh, again, just like his dad. I mean, his dad was a fullback-sized running back who could would leave you in the dust, uh, as like the Washington, I guess, defense would remember from the Rose Bowl. So, uh, my pick was Nick Eubanks. His brother played or plays D1 basketball. He was at Texas A&M. I feel like his name came up with something. I think he transferred. His brother did from A&M or is going to transfer. Um, but he's another. He's six six. Uh, and I believe that he was getting some basketball looks too. I can't remember uh, if two. Sp- I, I want to say that Alabama legitimately approached him about playing both sports. So, uh, you know, Alabama not the basketball program that they are football-wise, but 
uh, you know, not a slouch either. So, you know, I, I would probably go with Eubanks. Uh, again, not as big as Wheatley is. Uh, maybe a little bit more athletic, though. Uh, a guy you could throw it on the wing. Uh, I've never seen him play. I'm just going off of the, the bloodlines and the right. fact that Alabama uh, was I, I, about 95% sure I'd have to go back and look, but that they really had talks with him about maybe playing basketball. That's no, uh, that's not a, that's no slouch either. Is for a basketball team right now to want, you know, to want you with Avery Johnson, uh, former NBA coach, uh, coaching over there as well. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's a an athletic. Another, I mean, we, six yeah. six and two thirty. You know, similar, similar to Wheatley, maybe even a little bit less of a blocking back. More, you know, I mean, there's rumblings about how fast he is and how high he can jump. So, you know, he could. Yeah, you're right. It'd probably be a pretty fun contest to see one on one. In that case, I don't think Drake Harris, you know, stands stands much of a chance against some of the bigger guys. But he could outquick him from the perimeter, though. Yeah, they'd have to work. Right. <laughs> I think he could. Drake was great in high, Drake was great in high school, though. I mean, Drake's somebody I watched play high school basketball multiple times, and uh, yeah, I mean, he he was always the best player on the court, no doubt. I mean, at Grand Rapids Christian. Uh, yeah, Michigan State, it was a double It was a double commitment. I mean, that was the first commitment ceremony, uh, actually, that I ever covered was his. When he committed to Michigan State, but we knew the whole time that, they were, that Michigan was going to stay after him. We actually still kind of oddly enough felt good that Michigan would eventually be their choice because his high school coaches were insistent that football was his better sport. And uh, Michigan was a better place for him in that regard, and that's exactly how it turned out. So, and you know what? Story. That was uh, that's when Mike. We talked to Mike Zordich a couple weeks ago at uh, one of the football camps, and when we talked to him about the move over to cornerback for Harris, uh, first thing he brought up was his basketball prowess, and brought up yeah, he was of commitment to Michigan State, and that's uh, that's the kind of guy that we want in the defensive backfield. All right. Well, with that, we'll, we'll switch all the way over to football because we've got some other questions uh, coming up, including a couple on the barbecue at the big house. Uh, when is that? Is that soon? Twenty, twenty eighth or twenty ninth. Okay. Okay. So right, 20s. right before practice starts uh, for the football team, and so we have a question. This one's from Max J. Gordon. It was all together, so I thought it was like Max Gordon or something, like you know, some some combo word. But anyway, he asked, "What fun stories can you remember from the barbecue at the Big House?" Uh, not sure necessarily if it's there's any like amazing, mind blowing stories there. But he also asks, uh, "What about it do you think makes it a good recruiting tool?" So, Steve, you've covered a couple of these. I mean, what maybe you don't have a amazing story, but the event in general itself is a story and that they've turned it into a pretty big recruiting event yeah i don't i mean we're not with them like when they're doing what they do so i don't, I don't really know of any like really that i could think of uh, if i rack my brain maybe there'd have been something a couple of years ago i don't know that was really cool i guess but i don't i don't can't really think of one uh as far as the event being successful each coach so it's it's a rodriguez thing hope kept it now harbaugh's kept it uh, it's they've each coach has put their own spin on it. Uh, the way Hoke and Harbaugh run it are pretty similar, actually, uh, from what I can remember with the scavenger hunt style stuff. In a, in a way where uh, you get to know the coaches that are recruiting you, 
you get to experience the Michigan campus as a whole, right? So you meet, you know, they have them in the, li- they have them in the library, and then they have them on uh, the Diag. You know, they just kind of that whole thing. Uh, it's it's much more of a personal style unofficial than it is a football unofficial. Obviously, there's no game, no crowd, uh, so it's kind of a great or probably the best shot uh, for for kids that Michigan is really after to get acclimated to just the actual campus or student side of things. Uh, plus, the food is really good. I know, like you know, of course it's going to be, but that stuff can kind of matter too. Uh, I don't know if anybody really reads a lot but florida state has this like chicken wing recipe that they use on unofficial visits or on their visits that is like wildly successful with recruits apparently uh michigan's barbecue at the big house is they bring in the best uh and like i said that stuff can uh matter like food is weird food like does things in recruitment sometimes like i know rashawn gary was big about you know i want to know where the best food is on campus or deshaun hand uh, I remember he was big on that stuff, too. Um, Cesar Ruiz liked the key lime pie that he had at, uh, on one of his visits to Michigan. Uh, you know, they still talk about that. So uh, kind of weird, but it does, it does have a little bit of an effect, uh, you know. But as far as the actual event, it's much more about the personal side of things. Uh, it's commits getting to get to know some of the targets a little bit better, and it's the targets and their families getting to know the coaching staff and getting to know everybody better. I'll have to ask Caesar at some point how he could go to school in Florida at the IMG Academy and Florida somehow got beat out by Ann Arbor for key lime pie. But discussion for another day. I mean, that, that brings up another question that we got, you know, with, with this barbecue at the big house. You know, it's a personal thing, and it, it brings up kind of the the intriguing parts of visits. And I think people have a lot of curiosity, like what do different teams do? Because, you know, maybe some some teams won't give you the wow, pizzazz kind of visit. Or maybe maybe some players want that. Maybe they want just like a, a humble, casual, family-style thing. You know, a lot of different ways you can go about it. And JB374 wants to know, without naming names, what's the most ridiculous recruiting visit situation, positive or negative, or, or both and maybe, uh, you have heard of? So, Steve, you've been in this longer than Isaiah and I have any any standout to you? Yeah, I mean, I went back and forth about whether or not I would tell it. No names, obviously. Uh, that'd be unfair to everybody involved. Uh, a prominent recruit in the past uh, was on the campus. It was not Michigan, I will say that. Uh, was on the campus of a different school uh, whose star player was his host for the weekend. Uh, a lot of times with these visits, you hang out with the player in the dorm or something, then they kind of take you around and, you know, you get acclimated to the campus life. Uh, this star player left said recruit in the dorm room, uh, left at 7 o'clock and went out to a drinking establishment, I guess would be the best way to put it, and did not return home until I think about 2.30 or 3 o'clock that next morning. Uh, the recruit was pretty much on their own the entire time. And that recruit, who was very interested in this school, uh, promptly uh, eliminated them. I, very, I don't know if it was very shortly after or uh, maybe later on, but uh, they did not end up uh, signing with that program. So, yeah, that one was always kind of that one's always kind of stuck out to me. Uh, you know, there are bad visits, just like there's good visits. I mean, there are about 90, 95% of the visits are really good. Uh, most bad visits, it's usually they – 
might have, you know, there's, there's a, one where they got a bunch of guys on campus. Maybe they didn't pay nearly the attention to, you know, X that they did Y, you know, that type of stuff. That's usually what happens. With a, that's where a bad visit might pop up. But, you know, most of the time it's, uh, you know, they're really, they're always very positive visits. I'm just still thinking about this player that you mentioned that's left behind in the dorms. Like, why? I'm, I'm curious why he didn't text anyone else or, or hit up anyone else and say, hey, I'm yeah, not sure what this know. guy is, but no, I really, I don't know. Uh, that's the gist of it. I mean, I don't know that I don't have the, uh, you know, down to the, you know, very last tidbit details mm-hmm. on it, but that's right. definitely the gist of it. I mean, I know that's kind of the, that was the general happening of, uh, of the unofficial visit. It didn't go too well. So, uh, you know, okay. yeah, right. interesting. You don't really hear those very often. Right. All right, Isaiah, what do, what do you got? Well, mine is, uh, isn't nearly as uh, scintillating as that one, but uh, I have one other recruit who uh, that, that's uh, someone that the school is really high on. And uh, regardless of that fact, any time they, they got to campus, it just seemed that they'd find themselves in a situation where instead of being, you know, being around the top guys, the, the top recruits, or, or even the top, uh, rather the top players that are already on the team, uh, the red, you know, proverbial red carpet being rolled out. Instead, despite the school's, uh, it, you know, insistence that they were, you know, a top player, which they, you know, which they are or were in that uh, in that case, they uh, they found themselves in their recruiting visit sitting in like a in in a small room with with a walk on and like their mom, uh, kind of the opposite of where you know they're standing in the recruiting world, <laughs> so. Uh, eventually that got figured out. It happened more than once uh, where that would happen. They'd, they'd come to come to the campus and, and you know, ex- excited to see what was offered and uh, would end up, whatever reason, just with a walk-on and their parents. And uh, that, uh, that got rectified after a few times. For some reason, the uh, recruiting department said, wait a second, why is this happening with the top-level uh, top prospect? And... Mm-hmm. Uh, they started showing them a bit more love after yeah. that, but uh, but that's uh, that's one that comes to mind is uh, kind of like a more of a head scratcher than a something kind of crazy, uh, you know, general recruiting story. Just kind of like what are, what are you thinking when you when you right. end up sticking <laughs> sticking that guy with a uh, with a walk on? That's not exactly putting your best foot forward. Should also be noted, you know, I, I'm sure neither of those was necessarily this this mind blowing story like they're not going to tell us when the crazy crazy stuff happens right, if it does right. i mean they're you know i think most teams would rather be quiet or boring about their visits than than give out too many details so something to keep in mind but but those are both interesting and it's it's always interesting it's like even teams that that can go you know 10 for 10 with these top targets can do one you know brain fart kind of thing with another and, and suddenly suddenly they're out of, out in the cold on a guy that they probably could have gotten otherwise but can we, hey zach can we just isaiah just were clear that was not julian barnett that you were referring to in that story correct it, it absolutely <laughs> was julian barnett that's why he isn't uh sorry i didn't want to have to name names but that's that's oh. why uh Okay. Why things are going the way they're going right now? Okay, we yeah, did. All right, I just just want to make sure there for for everybody you know on the board out there is not talking about Julian Barnett. So <laughs> we so, did yeah. get one other recruiting question uh, from Bleed Blue One. 
I don't expect either any of us to to have an answer to this, um, but I don't want to seem like we're ignoring the question. Uh, how much of the bagman do you guys believe is out there for these big time recruits? Always wondered how much of this really goes on. Uh, Steve, take it away. Uh, just think about it. I guess like, <laughs> you're not going to get if you want stories and stuff like that. Forget about it. Just just put two and two together. So uh, some schools have to fight more of an uphill battle than other schools do. It's just that simple. Now we're talking about a bag man in the sense of like is it a, is a is it selling like purses a, uh, outside? Uh, yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, outside the no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the market for a for a new uh, a new motorcycle backpack. So if there's any bag men out there, you know that that could maybe hook me up with something. I'd really appreciate them reaching out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and not to. And it's not like we're we're hiding anything. It's just you know they're not going to tell us. I mean, there's so much evidence out there that it is pretty widespread. Um, I don't think we're going to bring anything new or mind-blowing to the table. There's a uh, school in the SEC getting busted for it right now. I mean, obviously it happened. Right. But, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just uh, it's it's part of the game, I guess. I don't really know how to say it. It's just uh, how prominent it is, I guess, is debatable. But, yeah, I mean, there's schools that are getting looked at and investigated heavily for it right now. I mean, it's just uh, it obviously happens. Right. So. Totally forgot. Have a com- have a huge mind blowing expose on the entire scenario oh, yeah? going right now. Yeah, I totally forgot about it, but we'll bring that. I'll bring that up in a in a couple of years when it finally hits. <laughs> that was such a tease. Yeah, I thought you were going to say it now. <laughs> yeah, no, just, re- just remind me in like twenty twenty five, and we'll talk about it. Oh goodness. Uh, anyway, a couple other topics here about the the actual football team. Moving on from recruiting, Isaiah, you've been at at some of these camps. You mentioned you've talked to. Zordich, you've seen Wheatley slim down. Uh, it seems like you've probably got <laughs> been able to talk to more than, than we'll get to talk to all of fall camp. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes, of course. But of of all the people that you've talked to, or all the all the different uh, people that you've caught up with, I mean, what are some things? And you've got stories on all of them. And and listeners should go to michigan.247sports.com, check it out. But what are a couple of the key things you've learned or key takeaways um, from these past couple weeks for you? Well, number one would probably be, this is no surprise, especially it seems like every other article I'm writing is about Rashawn Gary, is the is his continued you know progression. Uh, we saw him uh, saw him quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. He was uh, like at a, quite a few of these camps, and he not only was really active. Uh, in the camps, you're starting to see his voice come out. Uh, and that might not seem like it's a big deal. Uh, I, I posted some video of him and a couple, uh, couple weeks ago working with some of the campers and, and, uh, someone, someone had commented, uh, uh, I think actually on Facebook was saying it was kind of a non-story, but it really is kind of a story because when he came here last year, he, like yeah, we saw the work, we saw the explosiveness, uh, we saw you know every, you know uh, just little glimpses of the number one recruit in the entire country consensus from 2016. But he was he had this kind of mentality of keeping his head down, learning from those guys that were ahead of him. And now that Taco Charlton and Chris Wormley are in the NFL, we're seeing Gary. 
starting to take that next step to being a leader. And that's something that Don Brown brought up in multiple facets. He's mentioned that, uh, number one, Gary has the potential to be the best uh, defensive lineman he's ever seen uh, in all of his years of coaching. That's about as high a praise I've ever heard a player get uh, from any coach. Uh, and then he also talked about how he has been a leader, a vocal leader, and how even the older guys who have been in the system uh, you know, much longer than him are – are listening because they can see not only the production, but the seriousness that he's bringing uh, on top of that. You have some humility. I did a quick one-on-one interview with, uh, with Gary at one of the camps as well. And uh, that was, it was a couple days after the, that Don Brown story had hit. He didn't even know about it. And he said, you know what, that's amazing praise, but that's not something that he's particularly concerned, uh, concerned with. He's another guy who's slimmed down. There's been a lot of guys that are, really uh, making some moves as far as their weight's concerned. Uh, Gary, when he came in, uh, not to say he looked pudgy because he didn't. He still looked like a finely tuned athlete, but now he's, he's like a chiseled-looking guy. Uh, so that's, that's got to be exciting for, uh, for Michigan fans out there. Uh, Tyrone Wheatley, like I mentioned earlier, uh, TJ, his, uh, he, wouldn't give us a, he wouldn't give us a weight, but he said that he had a range uh, that the uh, – the staff and the nutritionist wanted him to get to, and he's in that range now. Uh, definitely looking still to be a behemoth, but we're going to see that speed on display. Uh, he had mentioned how he feels that the tight end room right now is the best in the country uh, between him, Sean McCune, who he uh, said has got everything going for him uh, at the tight end position. Uh, he's a guy that uh, said he's got his mechanics down. Uh, he's basically fundamentally the best tight end he said that Wheatley says he's ever seen uh, just does the guy that does everything right we've heard of the explosiveness of uh, Nick Eubanks as well uh, so those are guys to, to be on the lookout for one of the things that I took away from some of these camps as well is just the seriousness that exists with uh, all position groups particularly the offensive line and the secondary uh, the guys just not to say that they weren't serious in the past but it almost seemed like more of a hopeful uh, tone that they would have uh, in the last couple years. Uh, it seemed like, like, well, if everything comes together, then we're, you know, we'll be, we'll be good to go. Uh, this year, you're seeing a lot of guys saying, we know because of what we've seen, you know, what these guys ahead of us did, uh, and hmm. we know what it takes to win. Uh, we know we we saw, how, you know, how we were able to ball just slightly short this past year and we know what to do to to make sure that that doesn't happen we see that a lot with the offensive line uh they're doing yoga uh quite a few of them they talk about trying to improve their hip flexion and making sure that they uh that helps them get the uh, added leverage uh that they need against defensive linemen uh talking to uh, guys like nolan ulizio and uh john runyon jr they say about how how, how going up against Rashawn Gary in practice has also continued to help uh, help them realize what they have to work on and, and to you know do everything they can to be successful. Lots of player led practices going on right now. Not that that's any different than right. any you know any summer, but it just seems like there's just an overall seriousness uh, from a lot of these players to to make sure that they keep the levels play. From uh, at the you know the same or even greater from their predecessors, so that's probably my biggest takeaway from uh, being around a lot of these camps and uh, 
the last couple uh, this past week particularly is around the youth impact program where they're working with a uh, working with a lot of uh, inner city kids from Detroit that are middle school aged and uh, that while that was a little bit more of a fun camp you know they got to you know play quarterback with uh with these uh with these kids and really just kind of coach them up uh that uh you still saw that seriousness in their eyes even though it was a fun fun moment but you saw guys like Keith Washington uh get you know get up and uh you know get really not in in kids faces but you just saw a seriousness even just to win that to become a culture of of competition even when that competition doesn't necessarily matter to the outcome of uh of the football season so that's uh that'll be something to look forward to uh yeah. going to make this camp really interesting to see uh see if they can continue this uh this pattern that they seem to have established yeah and i think we've we have heard more about how what's the word independent and self-starting the these players are that maybe you know the coaches don't need to get on them to behave themselves or to train and one really big sign of that is that Michigan opted out of the two-a-days this year to go with one-a-days and start practice uh, one week or two weeks sooner. And to me, that that is the coaches trusting these players a lot to be able to round out, you know, the the conditioning and some of the other stuff. Like it won't, they don't need to have a special practice for conditioning and lifting weights. You know, they can just focus on one practice a day and have a steady, steady pattern. It's something, something I, I kind of took away from the spring practice too so can co-sign with you on that isaiah anyway that's going to do it for our podcast today this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast episode three of course you can subscribe to us on itunes you can check out our stories and you know future podcasts at michigan.247sports.com uh thank you to steve lorenz and isaiah hull for providing their insight we talked basketball basketball recruiting football football recruiting I had a lot of fun. Hopefully you learned a lot, and hopefully you had some fun too. Uh, I'm Zach Shaw, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.